Hello, I am Stephanie Simmons, the pastor of Children and Families, and today I'll be reading Matthew 2, verses 1 through 15. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem, in the territory of Judea, during the rule of King Herod, Magi came from the east to Jerusalem. They asked, Where is the newborn king of the Jews? We've seen his star in the east, and we've come to honor him. When King Herod heard this, he was troubled and everyone in Jerusalem was troubled with him. He gathered all the chief priests and the legal experts and asked them where the Christ was to be born. They said, In Bethlehem of Judea. For this is what the prophet wrote, You, Bethlehem, land of, Judea, of Judah, by no means are you least among the rulers of Judah, because from you will come one who governs, who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called for the Magi and found out from them the time when the star had first appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search carefully for the child. When you found him, report to me, so that I too may go and honor him. When they heard the king, they went, and, and look, the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stood over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with Mary, his mother. Falling to their knees, they honored him. Then they opened their treasure chests and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Because they were warned in a dream to not return to Herod, they went back to their own country by another route. When the Magi had departed, an angel from the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up! Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I t tell you, for Herod will soon search for the child in order to kill him. Joseph got up and during the night took the child and his mother to Egypt. He stayed there until Herod died. This fulfilled what the Lord had spoken through the prophet. I have called my son out of Egypt. May God add a blessing to the reading of his word. Merry Christmas. I hope you had a good Christmas yesterday and uh, as we're gathering here online this Sunday to worship. And I was thinking about how Christmas, uh, all this excitement, all this anticipation, all this buildup and gifts wrapped and trees decorated and houses lit and all these things that happen that get us ready for Christmas. And then we celebrate this one day, we gather with family and friends and we get together and we celebrate together and exchange gifts. And then I remember even as a kid, kind of like at the end of Christmas Day or the day after Christmas, kind of the, 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 the letdown that it's all over. It's over, right? And we kind of have this feeling like Christmas is over today on this particular uh, day. And you might be feeling that way today. You might be feeling like, okay, Christmas is done. Christmas is over. On to New Year's or on to the next thing. And there's that feeling that it's, well, that it's over. And in reality, it's just the beginning. If you look at the Gospels and you look at the Gospel lesson, we're at the beginning of the Gospel. We're at the beginning of the life of Jesus. And really, it's just the start of a lot of things that happen in the life of Jesus. In fact, there's more to the story. And as Paul Harvey would say, now for the rest of the story. So what happened next was that uh, after the birth of Jesus, uh, they would have stayed in Bethlehem because we know that they went to Jerusalem, to the temple, uh, a couple things would have happened there. 
Uh, but before that, on the eighth day, uh, Jesus would have been circumcised and named. That's actually the naming ceremony. He would have been named Jesus on the eighth day after his birth. And then on day 40, Mary and Joseph would travel to Jerusalem, about six, six miles away, six to seven miles away from Bethlehem. They would have traveled to Jerusalem for the dedication of Jesus in the temple and Mary's purification rites after childbirth. And so there were two ceremonies that would have, been, would have occurred there in the temple. So we know that at least for 40 days, uh, they lived in Bethlehem, and they probably stayed with family, stayed with family uh, actually in Bethlehem for some time, because at least until the Magi arrived, which we heard read this morning. And the other thing that happens when they go to Jerusalem is that they encounter Anna and Simeon. And Anna and Simeon are these saints, uh, so, so-called saints of the church of the temple of that day. They had been waiting for the Messiah there. They were prayer warriors. They had prayed and waited patiently for God's work and God's Messiah to arrive. And so uh, Simeon actually gives these words to Mary and Joseph when they come to the temple for that dedication of Jesus. And Simeon says these words in Luke chapter 2, verses 29 to 32. He says, Now, Master, let your servant go in peace according to your word, because my eyes have seen your salvation. You prepared this salvation in the presence of all peoples. It is a light of revelation to the Gentiles and a glory for your people Israel. And it says that Mary and Joseph marveled at this, these words, at this response to the arrival of Jesus in the temple on the day 40. And then we get to the Magi. That's what we heard about today. So there was a lot that happened between the birth and the, the coming of these three Magi. We assume three. We don't know how many arrived. But these Magi come, and they come looking for Jesus. Now, it's likely that the place that they went looking first in Jerusalem would have been the temple, king of the Jews, right? They were looking for the king of the Jews, so they went possibly to the temple and started asking around, like, does anybody know anything about this? Maybe they even talked to Anna or Simeon or both of them. Maybe they heard rumors from shepherds about seeing shepherds seeing angels out in the fields and hearing about the newborn king of the Jews. We don't know of what happened when they got to Jerusalem. But we do know this. In, Luke, uh, or in Matthew, it says this, these words. When King Herod heard this, he was troubled. And everyone in Jerusalem was troubled with him. They were troubled. How could the birth of Jesus trouble the whole city? How could the birth of Jesus trouble the ruler? Well, it's the way that he came. It's the king of the Jews. It's a threat to Herod's power. It's a threat to the stability in the region. If there is a newborn king, so to speak, that's going to come and be on the throne of David, right? The throne of David in Jerusalem. And so this is a threat to Herod's kingdom. This is a, the threat to what Herod has power over and control over. And it troubles people because they knew that this would disrupt the balance, uh, the, the Roman peace uh, as we no, wasn't there. The Roman government was, was creating stability in the region. So it's interesting that Herod sends the Magi to Bethlehem. They, they find out it's somewhere in Bethlehem. And so uh, Herod sends the Magi there and tells them to go and find out more and then come report back to him. And I always wonder, why didn't Herod send a henchman with him, one of his henchmen? Uh, he sends them later to Bethlehem, to 
to kill the innocents, but why not go then? Why not send someone along with the Magi to see for themselves and report back? Why depend upon the Magi? Or better yet, Herod, why don't you leave your palace, which wasn't far from Bethlehem, the Herodium, actually, where he lived and was at, was at, could be seen from Bethlehem. So why not just go down there himself? Why not just go check things out for himself unless he was afraid? My guess is that Herod was afraid of Jesus. That's clear by his response uh, to what happens in Bethlehem and how Jesus and his family have to flee to Egypt. It's, it's clear he's afraid of Jesus. He fears Jesus, Right? Because he disrupts not only a family, a family is disrupted and has to move to another country in Egypt, but also disrupts all the families in Bethlehem. And I think about this Herod and his fear. And how, really behind a lot of power is fear. A lot of, behind a lot of stability is fear. A lot of comfort is fear, right? That this fear is a part of what is going on. And I think Herod may have been afraid of Jesus in a couple different ways. One is that maybe he was afraid that if he went and saw Jesus for himself, he too would have knelt down and worshipped him just like the Magi did. That actually seeing and looking in the eyes of Jesus would have convicted him and changed his life. I kind of want to hope that that would have been a possibility for Herod that even seeing the baby Jesus would have convicted him in some way that would have, would have shaped his heart, would have stuck in his heart in such a way that maybe he would have been humbled as well. But he doesn't go. And so he misses that opportunity uh, that the Magi take, get to have in experiencing and worshiping Jesus. I think he was also afraid of just losing power, right? Control. He was in charge and this was a threat to his power and control in the region and getting what he wanted and what was good for him and what was good for what he wanted to do with his life, right? And so Jesus is a threat uh, to his power, to his control. And I think about this, you know, even as, as Herod is not going to, to Bethlehem, it's interesting if we go back to Simeon's words in Luke chapter 2, Simeon also says something very ominous to Mary and Joseph. And this is what Simeon says in Luke chapter 2. He says, This boy is a sign to be the cause of the falling and rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that generates opposition so that the inner thoughts of many will be revealed. Maybe he's talking about Herod. (laughs) Maybe he's talking about the rising and falling of many, but that starts with Herod. That starts with his rising and falling. In fact, we know that he actually, not too long after the birth of Jesus, dies. And it does not continue in leadership. And so this rising and falling seems very ominous, these words of Simeon, and because Jesus would have been a threat to his power and a threat to Herod. So I think about that. We can look at this story. We can look at the interactions of Jesus and Mary and Joseph and Herod and the Magi and Simeon and Anna and all these things that happen right after the birth of Jesus. There's a lot going on here. Story's not over. In fact, as we said, it's just beginning. So what does that mean for us? I thought about this. <laughs> I thought if there, maybe inside of each of us, there's a little Herod, right? <laughs> that wants to be in control, that wants to be in power, that wants to not bend a knee to Jesus, that Jesus is a threat to us as well. Could be that we're also afraid of Jesus because Jesus 
represents change, transformation to us, conviction, truth, grace, right? All these things that disrupts us, that the presence of Jesus could disrupt our spirits, our souls as well, to see the truth about ourselves or to say, hey, I want you to take another path in life, or I want you to go a different direction in our life. And that can threaten us because we like our stability. We like our comfort. We like things to remain the same. And so Jesus is a disruptor to our own souls in that way. Just as Jesus was disruptive to Herod, Jesus can also disrupt us. And so maybe we're afraid to truly worship Jesus. Maybe our egos too can be too fragile like Herod's to be able to be humble enough to bend a knee and to worship Jesus today. You know, I think about how fragile egos have a hard time being humbled. That's part of the human condition. So what are you doing with Jesus today? It's the day after Christmas. What are you doing with Jesus today? Is Jesus over? Is it, are you done with Jesus? Here's a question for us to ponder today. Do we worship Jesus or erase him from our lives? Do we worship Jesus or do we erase him from our lives? You know, are we ready to go today back to the status quo? Go back to the way things were before Christmas and have we just checked our box that, hey, yeah, I, I gave Jesus a nod. I liked him on social media this week, but now I'm back to my life. I'm back to my agenda. I'm back to what I want to do with my life because Jesus maybe is too threatening to us. And so we kind of push Jesus back aside the day after Christmas. Christmas is over. We're moving on. So as we think about this question of what we're doing with Jesus today, it's really a question of relationship too. I know one of the things that we're doing this season is that we're gathering, hopefully gathering or limited gathering with friends, family members, maybe people we haven't seen for a long time. And it really tells us over the season, this past couple of years, we've been making decisions about relationships. And what we've been doing as we've been uh, going through this season of COVID is we're actually prioritizing, whether we like it or not, prioritizing our relationships to who's really important to us. And maybe people that we're going to put off seeing, not that they're not important or valuable, but we're just more prioritizing certain relationships. So I want, you to, I want us to think today is, what's the priority of our relationship with Jesus like? Where, where does Jesus fit in that evaluation of importance and priority of relationship in our lives? I have an image uh, I want to share with you. Uh, hopefully you can see it here on the screen. It's an image of a map, a relational map that a child did. And you could do this too. Just if you take a look at this map and take a look at it, you're in the center and then you can see how this, this young person has written the names of different people in their lives relationally based on the circles closest to them, and then it works outwards and the people that aren't as close. And they may have been thinking geographically, they may be thinking relationally or what's important or how invested that they are in that relationship, and they're evaluating that as they put different people in those circles. And you could do this yourself. You could just draw, so put yourself in the center of the page, create some circles, and then start to list out different relationships in each of those circles as you work outward away from, uh, your, from who you are. The question is, is where do you put Jesus on that relational map? Is Jesus right there with you in the center? Or is Jesus out in the margin somewhere? Or maybe Jesus isn't even on your map, your relational map. Where is Jesus 
And what is the importance of Jesus in your life? And what is driving that decision, that evaluation of Jesus? Is it threat? Is it wanting to be in control like Herod? What is it that's driving your relationship with Jesus today? You know, I came across a great Christmas story I thought I would share with you. And uh, it's a story of a a pastor uh, going to Christmas Day service. So in many years ago, all, many churches had Christmas services on Christmas Day, so people would go and worship on the birthday of Jesus. And in that time period, a pastor went to church. He had got there early, was setting everything up, turning the lights on, lighting the candles, cleaning up from the Christmas Eve service, the old bulletins, and just sprucing up the place to get it ready. And as he was walking up onto the the altar area, on their altar was a nativity scene. And as he walked up to it, he saw that, you know, there were the wise men, the magi, uh, there all in a row kneeling before Jesus. Some shepherds were there, camels, a donkey, Mary and Joseph. But in the center of the nativity, somebody was missing. Jesus was gone. Somebody took baby Jesus out of the nativity scene. And so the pastor was concerned about this, like what happened? Did we misplace him? Did someone take him on Christmas Eve? Where, where's baby Jesus, right? And so they went, uh, he went around and looked around, couldn't find Jesus. So the service, people arrived for the Christmas Day service. He made an announcement about how Jesus was missing. And if someone would just simply return him, there would be no questions asked. Just bring Jesus back uh, to the church. And uh, at the end of the service, nobody fessed up. Jesus didn't reappear and the pastor locked up the building and closed, turned off the lights and headed home for Christmas Day. And as he's walking home, he looks down the sidewalk and he sees one of the young people from his congregation, uh, Johnny. There's always a Johnny in these stories. And Johnny's coming down. He's, got, he's pulling behind him a brand new red wagon. A red wagon. And he's pulling down the sidewalk. He was excited. Obviously, his parents had bought him that for Christmas and he was out working, playing with it, enjoying it. And the pastor thought and knew Johnny's family, knew they weren't a family of means, and knew the sacrifices that they may have made so that Johnny could have this red wagon for Christmas. And so as he, he hurries up to go greet Johnny and say Merry Christmas to Johnny, he notices that in the, there is someone in the back of the wagon, and it's not a person, it's the baby Jesus. <laughs> from the nativity scene in the church. And so Jesus is in the back of Johnny's wagon, and so the pastor thought to himself, well, we need to have a little conversation with Johnny. So he knelt down as he approached Johnny and knelt down and got eye level with him and said, now, Johnny, you know that it's wrong to take things. It's, you shouldn't take other people's things, and that, you know, you, that really should be in the church, and that's not something that's appropriate. That's not something that you should do. And Johnny began to get all upset, and he began to cry, and he finally, after the pastor had lectured him for a little bit, he said, uh, he said Pastor, it's, it's not like that at all. I've been, I've been praying that I would get this red wagon for Christmas, and I told Jesus that if I got a red wagon for Christmas, I'd take him for a ride. And then the pastor's heart was softened, and he understood that Johnny was just simply saying thanks to Jesus. Johnny, on Christmas Day, was taking Jesus with him, right? He was not leaving Jesus in the church in the nativity scene. He literally 
was thinking about how can I take Jesus for a ride? How can I take Jesus with me into my life and into my celebration and into what I'm doing today? And I think that's really what we are called to do today as well, to take Jesus with us into the world, into our lives, into our relationships, that Jesus really is to be at the center of our circle, the center of our relationships, because we need Jesus. We need uh, the humility that Jesus gives us, the grace that Jesus gives us, the conviction that Jesus gives us, and the insight and the guidance that Jesus gives us, the teachings that Jesus gives us. These are all gifts to us as we navigate this life. And so let's take Jesus with us today. I'm going to give you a couple reflection questions for at home. Maybe you'll gather with your family and just talk about this message more and where Jesus is in your life. But after the question, I want you to stay tuned because after the question, I want to invite you to do something else. But here are the questions uh, as we wrap up today. First question is, what are you doing with Jesus today? And number two, what are ways you can continue to take the presence of Jesus with you each day this week? So I thought one way that we could respond today, that we could take Jesus with us and remind us that this is really only the second day of Christmas out of the 12, that Jesus is still, we're still celebrating Jesus with us. So I want to invite you to do something. Maybe you noticed that the Advent wreath behind me only has four candles lit on it. I didn't light the Christ candle today. And that was on purpose, because I want to invite you to find a candle where you're at. I want you to find a candle in your home, and I want to take, invite you to take some time to light it and let that light represent and remind you that Jesus is with you, Emmanuel, God with us, that Jesus is present in your life today. So I'd invite you just to go and light a candle, your own Christ candle today, to remind you that Jesus is with you. That Jesus is with you today. And so I hope you'll take some moments today to continue to celebrate Christmas and remind yourself of Christ's presence with you. Let's pray together. God, thank you that Christmas is not over. In fact, the birth of Jesus was just the beginning of what you wanted to do in our lives. And we are confronted today with what we're going to do with Jesus. Where is Jesus going to be in our lives? And we pray, God, that your Spirit would guide us to know how to walk with Jesus today, how to experience and embrace his presence in our lives today. So, Lord, would you be with us in Jesus today? Would you guide us? Would you walk with us and continue to help us to celebrate today the presence of Jesus in our lives, we pray in his name. Amen.